Alrighty, Romans chapter number 15 tonight. Romans chapter number 15. That was awesome listening to those two young men preach, wasn't it, church? Uh, I'll tell you what, you know, that moment was really significant for them too. I still remember when uh, my pastor let me preach. I was in seventh grade, uh, and I remember uh, I preached out of 1 Corinthians something, or 2 Corinthians something, about uh, be ye separate, saith the Lord. If that doesn't tell you I grew up in a Baptist church, I don't know what does. And, uh, but you know, it's opportunities like that that help me identify God's calling in my life because I realized, man, I, I, my mouth was dry the whole night leading up to that opportunity, but it was like, I love that. I enjoyed that. I felt satisfaction from the Lord being able to preach to God's people. And uh, I hope you'll encourage them and uh, exhort them to continue and follow the Lord. And uh, they did a great job. I, I, that was just awesome. Um, I know they had a little bit of help, but they, they came up and they did a great job, way better than I did when I was in seventh grade. And so uh, that was just awesome to see. Well, we're going to be in Romans 15, and tonight is the last installment of our little quick series on Paul's prayers. And again, I want to thank Pastor Tyler for letting me uh, preach the last three weeks. Um, and last week, uh, we talked about, uh, we kind of introduced the message with this thought, what was on Paul's prayer list? We all have prayer lists, right? And if you listen to a lot of messages on prayer, it seems like your prayer list just grows to this infinite size. There's a, a lot of things to pray for, and it seems like there's not enough time. But what we learned from the life of Paul and what we learned from the scriptures is that Paul's prayer list, if you're just to glean from the Bible, it seems like his prayers centered around two different themes. And last week we talked about Paul's passion for spiritual growth. That when Paul prayed, he prayed specifically for spiritual shortcomings in the lives of people. You remember that? This week we're going to talk about the second theme, I think, is when we look at Paul's prayers and we look specifically when he's asking for prayer, we see that Paul's other main theme that you see in multiple of the epistles is that he's asking prayer for the progress of the gospel. The progress of the gospel. Jesus' very last words to his disciples on this earth were this, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And the, la the next three words are the words that are most intimidating to me unto every creature. That's a big job. I looked it up this week on Operation World. If you want to subscribe to a daily email list that'll help you pray specifically for the progress of the gospel in unreached nations, I'd encourage you to go to Operation World. You could just put your email in. I'll send you a daily email reminder. On Operation World, they estimate that there are over 7.8 billion people on planet Earth. There's about 8% of those people that they estimate are evangelical Christians. That would be Christians and then filter out uh, different cults and such that would fall under the large umbrella of Christianity. 8% of the world's population. So that says that there are 7.17 billion people that we have yet to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to say... Let that sink in. 
1.17 billion people that need to be reached with the gospel. And when you realize that even 2,000 years after what Paul writes, that we have yet to finish our job, it can seem a little intimidating. It can seem a little bit impossible. But here's the question I want to ask tonight. How do we see progress for the gospel when we as people in liberal Kansas feel really limited in our ability to actually make a difference for the gospel? I want you to look at verse number 30, and here's the answer. I think you see it coming. It's through prayer. Through prayer. Look at verse number 30 of Romans chapter number 15. Here's what Paul says. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit. Now pay attention to the next four words. That ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul says that when you pray for him, He's telling these believers, you're striving together with me. That word striving together comes from the same Greek word that they would have used to label a coworker. Now, when you say someone's a coworker, you're thinking of someone who goes out to the shop with you every day. You're thinking of the person that works in the store with you and works the retail job with you. You're thinking of the employees that you work shoulder to shoulder with every single day. And when we think about the progress of the gospel, it can be easy to limit ourselves to a physical co-working sense. That, that we are co-workers, co-laborers together for the gospel and liberal. But stop right there. You can not only be a co-worker for people in liberal Kansas hearing the gospel, but listen, church, you can be laborers together with people all around the world spreading the gospel and you can have an investment. You yourself can have a direct investment in the progress of the gospel, not just in liberal, not just in Garden City, but in Mongolia, in Sri Lanka, in, in Europe, in Africa, in China. Is someone getting the point here tonight that when we pray to God, here's what Paul is saying, we are working together for the progress of the gospel. I don't see from Paul that prayer is like this last item on the prayer list if you can't do anything else in the church. Like, oh, you know, we don't have a ministry for someone like you, so, uh, well, you can pray. No, no, no. What Paul is saying is that when you pray for me, you are participating with me in the gospel. When you pray for me, you are participating with me. And I want to stop here, church, because as a Christian, pay attention to this, your desire to make an impact for the gospel should be greater than your physical capacity to influence people for the gospel. Let me say that again. Your heart for the gospel should be bigger than your feet can possibly go with the gospel. I'm going to say that one more time. Your heart for the gospel should be bigger than anywhere your feet could possibly go with the gospel. If it's not, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And what I want to spend a few moments tonight thinking about and talking about is how can you and I labor together, strive together, pray together, work together so that the gospel can move forward, not just here, but around the world, because there is much work to be done. 
Would you be interested in hearing that as Paul teaches it throughout the epistles? How can we, as just believers in liberal Kansas, work together, strive together, not just with our church, but with other churches around the globe to spread the gospel? I want to give you five prayer requests that you can pray. And these are on the back of your handout that was given as you walked in. And I gave each of you a handout uh, for different missionaries that we support uh, and different laborers in the gospel. And I'll talk about that at the end. And, and so you can reference this, you can take notes, whatever may be good for you. But here's the first prayer request. I want, I want to encourage you to pray that God will give an open door to present the gospel. Look at Colossians chapter number four with me. Colossians chapter number four. Pray that God will give an open door to present the gospel. Here's what Paul asked for prayer in Colossians chapter number four, verses two through three. He said this, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Now here's the prayer he's speaking of, verse number three. With all, praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Here, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I need you to pray that God will give me an open door, an open opportunity that I can share the gospel with people I'm interacting with. Now you gotta understand, Paul wrote this verse in Colossians while he was chained to a Roman guard. Now I know a lot of preachers like to Imagine what that'll look like. You know, he's chained and you've got a captive audience, right? And he's sharing the gospel. Listen, if you're chained to a Roman guard, I don't think in minute number five, you're sharing the gospel. Right? <laughs> Hello, sir. These are bad dudes. Can I say it that way? Roman guards. And I don't think they put like the, the B team on Paul. They were concerned about him. And so here he is chained to a Roman guard and he's asking these Colossians, would you please pray for me that God would give me an open door to speak of the mystery of Christ? Here's Paul, he's imagining not just when he's chained to a Roman guard, he's hoping he gets out and he has further gospel opportunities. When you're a guy like Paul and you walk into a city that you know not a single soul, you need some open doors. You need somewhere that you can kind of get your foot in the door and, and win one person to Christ like he did in Philippi. And he, he won this demon-possessed girl and this seller of purple and this Roman jailer. And you need just some open doors that God providentially opens so that through that you can build a church. And here's what Paul is saying. I can't do that without God's supernatural help. And the way that we tap into God's supernatural help is through prayer. But listen, church, we still need to pray for God to open doors to present the gospel. You know why we need to pray for open doors? We need to pray for open doors because here's the truth. The gospel will never take root in someone's heart unless they're ready to hear it. We need to pray for open doors because in order for the gospel to be received, God has to do work way before we ever share the gospel. You know, every time that someone gets saved in the service, we just see this blip on a timeline when they're ready to receive the gospel. You gotta understand, church, that God has been doing work sometimes for days, for weeks, for months, and often, often for years 
for you, us to even see that open door. And, and would to God that we as a church would get involved and pray and ask God to open doors to share the gospel with people. And I don't want us to just think about missionaries tonight. Because here's the truth. We are all ministers of the gospel. Every single one of you, you don't get an exemption card tonight. You are a minister of the gospel. If you are a recipient of the gospel, you are a minister of the gospel. If you're a recipient of the gospel, you're a minister of the gospel. And so when we pray for God to open doors, we don't just think of Pastor Tyler. We don't just think of missionaries. We don't just think of our family going to Garden City. No, we think of people who own businesses and interact with people. We, we think of educators who work in a school system who have a platform but have a lot of rules and things they got to navigate if they want to have gospel influence. And a lot of you work in workplaces like that and you feel this tug of war. I want to be a gospel influence, but I want to honor and, and be respectable to my employer. And you got to navigate this balance, but you still got to shine your light. We got to pray for people like that, church. We got to pray for people who are healthcare workers that interact with people at their lowest and ask that God will give them an open door to present the gospel. There's a wide open opportunity there. When you come face to face with people who've also come face to face with their mortality, we need to pray for open doors. Church, I would ask you to pray for open doors for the staff to share the gospel. Pray for Pastor Tyler as he interacts with guests in the line on Sunday. Pray for him as he counsels throughout the week. Pray for him as, his, as he and his family are involved in the community, that that wouldn't just be involvement in the community, that's just for involvement in the community, but God would open doors for the gospel. Listen, that can't happen just because of one man. God has to work in hearts. Pray for Brother Tanner as he preaches to the teens on Wednesdays. And if you know Brother Tanner, he has a heart for the gospel. He has a heart for people. And pray that God will give him open doors to share the gospel. Pray for Brother Sid while he interacts with families in the bus ministry. Pray for him as he interacts with people in USD 480. Pray for our family. As we go to Garden City, man, this is fresh on my mind. We just moved there Monday. Got to talk to my neighbor for the first time today. Shook uh, Diane Wallace's hand this morning. Got to introduce myself to her. You know what's on my mind? Gospel doors. Pray for me. That God will open doors. Listen, everywhere you go, everywhere I go, we ought to have a heart. We ought to have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. God, would you open doors for the gospel? Would you open doors to share the gospel? Pray for other missionaries. Pray for Brother John in Scottsdale, Arizona. You know, when you're ministering to people who are fabulously wealthy, God needs to open some doors for the gospel to be shared. And God has to do the work. But we strive together. We work together when we pray that God will do that work. And listen, church, that's a prayer God will answer. That's a prayer God will answer. Pray for the Schmutzler family. Some of you might have their card. They're missionaries to Mongolia. The, most of the people they will minister to in their lifetime in Mongolia will have never even heard about Jesus Christ in their whole life. Pray that God will open doors. But listen, it's not enough to just have an open door to share the gospel. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter number six. And I want you to see the second prayer request that Paul prayed. He prayed this a couple different times in different wordings in the scriptures. But when you have an open door, there's a second part to that. And this is why Paul, on multiple occasions in the New Testament, asked people to pray that he would have boldness to preach the gospel. 
Look at Ephesians chapter number six and verse number 18. This is right after the, the passage on the armor of God. And Paul wraps it up in verse number 18 and he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And verse number 19, for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. You know, Paul needed some boldness to preach the gospel. It reminds me of Acts chapter 4 and verse number 29 when, when Peter and some of the other apostles were confronted and basically they said, you better stop talking about this Jesus guy or we're gonna throw you in jail or worse. And here's what they do. They pray. And they say, and now Lord, I love how they're talking to the Lord. Behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And you know what they said? They said, you know what? We're not accountable to you. We're accountable to God. And so we're gonna keep talking about Jesus. And they said, I don't care if you throw me in jail. I'm gonna preach about Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Paul's prayer request reminds me of because everywhere Paul went, it seems like he got beat up or thrown in jail. <laughs> How's that for a ministry? Can you imagine if after church, our pastor got dragged out in the street and beat up? That would just be crazy to minister in that context. And I'm just trying to think of Paul on a human level. Okay, this is a man who has endured torture. He's been whipped. He's, he's had giant rocks thrown on top of his weak, frail body until he almost died. You think maybe the next time he preached the gospel, in the back of his mind, he thought, you know, if I took it a little bit easier, I might not get giant rocks thrown on top of my body. Just on a human level. I wonder if that's why he said, would you pray for me that I would have boldness to preach the gospel? Because everywhere Paul went, there were ramifications if he preached the gospel. We talked about last week when he was in Thessalonica that they dragged people. They had these certain lewd fellows of a baser sort. You remember that? And they dragged them out of the house of Jason and arrested some of these people. There were ramifications everywhere he went with the gospel. And so here's what Paul says. Pray for me that I have boldness, that I'm not fearful in the face of ramifications, but I have courage and power from God that I would preach his message. You know, there are still ramifications for preaching the gospel. There are still consequences when people open their mouth and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if there are still consequences and there are still ramifications, you and I should still pray for boldness. There's ramifications for our missionaries. I think of Brother Abdu Isa. He ministers in Lebanon and preaches the gospel. If I remember right, several years back when he came, he preaches the gospel to Muslim refugees. Sometimes to, to some who come from a very violent background. In fact, he's led some to Christ who are really high up in some of these terrorist organizations. Don't you think that, that while we minister here in comfortable America, Abdu Isa is facing a battle of the spirit when he wants to share the gospel in the back of his mind thinking, I could be sharing it with a Muslim who's gonna cut my head off. I'm not being exaggerative. 
Like this is the real deal. This is a missionary we send a check to every month. We need to pray for boldness for Abdu Isa. We need to pray for boldness for our missionaries in China, like the Ray family and the Delos Reyes family. Edward and Bethlehem, the young couple, they're, they're right about our age and they're ministering in China. You preach the gospel to the wrong person in China, you get turned into the police. And I don't know if you follow the news much, China's not getting much more friendly to the gospel. They're not becoming more receptive to the gospel. You, you even have church and you do it in just a tiny bit less discreet of the way you could be thrown in jail. You could be kicked out of the country. I think of the Hetzer family, family preaching in Sri Lanka. And oftentimes they'll minister and go into villages where there are militant Buddhists and Hindus in many of the villages they go. In fact, uh, the, the man that Brother Hetzer is ministering with there in Sri Lanka once told of a time that they were driving into a village and there were these militant Hindus, I think, that were blocking the road. And they found out that these guys were Christians and they start breaking in the windows and trying to steal the gospel tracks out of their car. And they went and told someone to go get a can of lighter fluid so they could light their car on fire. We need to pray for boldness for our missionaries in foreign countries. But you know, there's still ramifications even in other non countries that aren't far away. There are people who get arrested in not just China, but in Canada for preaching the gospel, for doing what they feel like the Lord wants them to do. And you know what? Sometimes even as Americans, there are ramifications when you present the gospel, aren't there? Oh, they seem lesser. In a lot of ways they are. There's some awkwardness. There's some family tension. There's some awkwardness in your relationships with your coworkers. There could be some mockery. There, there could be some gossip that happens when you open your mouth and preach the gospel and share the gospel, even lovingly with a coworker. We need boldness. We need to pray for it. But I want you to go back to Romans 15. I want to share the last three prayer requests Paul had. And here's the, the third one he had. He, he asked believers to pray for deliverance from opposition to the gospel. Look at verse number 31 of chapter 15 of Romans. He says, um, striving together with me in your prayers to God for me, that, here's the first prayer request, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. Now I want to explain this. Paul was uh, writing to this body of believers in Rome, and he was getting ready to deliver an offering that was collected by a lot of churches, kind of like a missions offering, to, to some really poor uh, churches or Christians in Jerusalem. So basically, Paul was going to travel a long distance with a large bag of money to give it to really poor Christians. And if you're understanding even uh, the series in the book of Mark, Jerusalem wasn't exactly the friendliest place to the gospel. Uh, it was the place where Jesus endured some of the most uh, intense opposition to his ministry, right? When he set his face back to go to Jerusalem, the Bible basically tells that he knew he was going to die when he went back to Jerusalem to minister. And in Paul's day, it wasn't any different. These were not people who had over time grown more warm and fuzzy about Jesus. These were people that saw Jesus and the message of Christ as a threat, not just to their religion, but to their culture. 
Because what Jesus said is, is build this temple and I'll tear it down in three days. Or tear down this temple and I'll build it up in three days. And he basically preached that he was the replacement for the Old Testament law. And listen, that wasn't just a big change to Jews. That was blasphemy. That was heresy. In Jewish culture, there were laws and practices that binded these people together and kind of created this subculture. But here's Paul, and he's preaching a gospel to Jews and Gentiles. And they looked at a guy like that and said, you're unclean, you're disgusting, you're filthy. You know what Paul understood? Is if he ran into the wrong person in Judea, it could mean his life. It meant that for Jesus. And Paul says to these believers, listen, I want to minister to the, with the gospel as long as I can. And so would you pray for me? I just imagine Paul's writing. These people didn't say, hey, Paul, how can we pray for you? He's just being honest. He's just saying, man, would you pray for me that I would be delivered from opposition to the gospel? And listen, church, if God is going to continue working to progress the gospel, here's what we can understand. Satan is going to be at work opposing the gospel. If God is going to be at work seeing the gospel progress, then Satan is going to try and work even over time to oppose the gospel. And, and we would be fools to think otherwise. It happens in a lot of ways, doesn't it? Satan's opposition. It happens when foreign governments come after Christians whose only crime is sharing their faith. Satanic opposition happens when church plants are oppressed unfairly by local governments and landlords. It happens when cancel culture comes after the church for their stand on biblical morals. It happens when a small town rumor mill tries to discredit the ministry of the local church. Opposition happens when family members ostracize those who accept Jesus Christ as their savior. And listen, we can't change a lot of that. Listen, you can't change a foreign government's policy. Sorry to break it to you. You can't even change the U.S. government's policy in a lot of ways. You can go out and vote. You vote for the right people. But listen, the only person who can help deliver us and our fellow laborers in the gospel from opposition is God himself. And, and I picture it like Paul was imagining his mind, like those times in the gospel where Jesus, uh, the Pharisees, and, and the Roman government's closing in on him, and it just says he kind of narrowly escaped the crowd. And I don't know exactly how that looks like if, if it was him being, you know, putting on his God powers and just disappearing or if it was just him hiding really good because he played hide and seek a lot as a kid and he just got out of the crowd real good. I think that's what Paul's praying for. He's like, man, I, I can't control the, the Judean government. But man, would you pray that I would just take the right streets, that I would take uh, and meet the right people that wouldn't report me, but would hear my message. And would you just pray that God would deliver me from opposition to the gospel because the gospel needs to continue moving forward. And listen, church, there are, there are missionaries that every Sunday have to worry about opposition to the gospel. I'll bring up the Ray family again just because I know him personally. Every Sunday they stagger their start time and stagger the time in which people enter the building of their church so that the government won't know where they're meeting. Sometimes this church will have 15 or 30 minutes 
notice that maybe the police found out about them because of a disgruntled church member and they will have to clear a building. Mind you, they're a church of like 200 people. I don't know how on earth they pack all those people in, but they do it. And they clear a whole building of 200 people in 30 minutes or they get arrested. There's some serious opposition in the gospel. And here's why it's important for us to pray for that. It's because if more of those people get arrested, in a lot of cases, that slows down the progress of the gospel. That was Paul's heart. I remember someone growing up to, you shouldn't pray for, you know, uh, to spare them from persecution because that's what they signed up for. No way. You pray for God to deliver them. That's what Paul said. He's, he's I don't want to fall in the hands of these Judean people. Would you pray that God would deliver me? Because I'm trying to share the gospel. And it's a lot harder to share the gospel when I'm in prison. I can write some letters, but I can't go out and preach in synagogues if I'm in prison. And so we pray for deliverance from opposition to the gospel. There's a lot of opposition going on. And we've got to pray fervently. But you know, the next one is really odd to me. Because you'd expect Paul's ministry prayer request list to include something about the lost and persecution. But the next prayer request is a little bit weird to me. Look at verse number 31 again. Second half. In that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be, what's the next word? Accepted of the, what's the next word? Saints. Saints. So Paul doesn't just say, hey, I pray that the lost people won't kill me. He says, pray for the effectiveness of my ministry among believers. Apparently, Paul was concerned that the believers wouldn't accept him. Now, to you and me, that's confusing, right? I mean, Paul's deliver. like I said, he's delivering a big bag of money to a very poor church. In our minds, we're like, let's go. I mean, if someone walked to Fellowship Baptist Church with a big bag of money, Budget Mike would be very happy. (laughs) But Paul said, hey, I'm concerned that they won't accept me. Why would Paul say that? Well, because saved people are still sinful people. And sinful people aren't always receptive to spiritual efforts. Here's another, I'm just kind of thinking through this. Because these were converted Jews, and they ministered a culture that hated and opposed Paul. Do you think maybe that some of the chatter about Paul and about Jesus maybe got to some of the believers and skewed their mindset on Paul? I mean, that happened to nearly every other church he ministered to. You read the book of 1 Corinthians, what happened? People he led to Christ hated him. They thought he was a bad person, and then he had to convince them that he was a servant of God. And here's what Paul was understanding, that it was going to take grace, God's grace, for these Jewish believers. Now think about the cultural dynamics of this. There were Gentile believers that collected money and gave it to Jewish believers. Now, If you understand culture back then, Jewish people looked down on Gentile people. And don't you understand it takes humility to accept financial help? Am I right? And here are these people that look down on their nose of of people of other cultures. And listen, believers still struggled with this. You don't have to read a lot of epistles to figure that out. And here are these people that they look down on, that they thought were unclean, who were now helping them financially. And Paul's saying, would you pray that they would accept my ministry to them? And listen, church, it might surprise you, 
But sometimes the people who are the greatest opposition to God's work aren't necessarily lost people. I know this shocks members of Fellowship Baptist Church because this is like the greatest church on planet Earth, in my opinion. And you love your pastors. You love your staff. You love each other. And you, are, you, are, you can't be more, uh, you can't be less than thrilled when you have a pastor like we've had our last two pastors who preach the Bible hard and lead the church to reach the lost. And you're just cheering them on with all you've got. You realize that not everybody's like that. And, and I, I'm just going to say this. Not all of you are always like that too, I'm sure. Because we're saved people, but we're sinful people. And sinful people don't always like to be ministered to. We don't like our sinful problems fixed because that's how we naturally are. And, and, and so not all people appreciate a pastor, a missionary, a man of God, a coworker, a church member who wants to minister to them and help them spiritually. Not every church member wants to sit across the desk and hear what they need to hear rather than what they want to hear. Isn't that true? Not, not every man being discipled by a missionary who's trying to get this man to be a spiritual leader in the church, not every one of those men in Colombia or in Germany or in these other places where we send missionaries, not all of them are receptive and willing to receive spiritual counsel and help and discipleship. You realize that sometimes when, when we, we support a lot of church planners who, who go in these areas uh, and sometimes people who are taking in churches and restoring them in other parts of the country, you realize that sometimes their greatest opposition comes from a, a, a wild deacon or a disgruntled member or a group of bickering ladies that all claim to be saints of God. No wonder Paul said, would you pray that my ministry would be accepted? And listen, I, this, isn't, this isn't even part of the text, but if you have a pastor, or if you have someone in your life who's going to tell you what you need to hear, you ought to thank God for them. Amen. Someone who's going to shepherd you and help you and preach to you and not always tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to hear, you ought to thank God for them. Hey, listen, the problem, here's what Paul's saying. The problem isn't the problem, all right? Save people are sinful people. Pastors are in the people business. But here's the problem is that sometimes the saints of God are resistant to the ministry of God. And that's a problem. And so Paul says, pray for me. And so church, I want to challenge you. Pray for your pastor. Pray that his ministry would be accepted among the believers. Listen, our, our pastor does more ministry to believers than you see and even I see. Our pastors, our, our staff. Uh, pray for these other pastors. Listen, we, we could, I, I could think in my mind of the, the things that we're working through as a ministry. But listen, every single card you have, those guys and their families are working through the same kind of problems. And they feel the same kind of soul ache we do. You need to pray for them. And that their ministry be accepted among believers. Because listen, the gospel can't get out unless there's a team effort. A team effort. And when someone on the team goes crazy, we've got to get the team back together. We've we got to make sure that as a team we're healthy so that our team can go do the mission, can go achieve the goal. 
And so that's why Paul says, I want you to pray that my ministry would be accepted because every pastor and missionary, here's what they have. They have a balancing act. They're ministering to new people. They're reaching new people, but they're ministering to save people. And they're addressing sin and they're addressing problems and they're giving counsel, but they're also spreading the gospel and teaching people what it, what it means to be a Christian. But they're also doing this over here, and it's a balancing act. And Paul says, I'm going to be dodging opposition from unbelievers, but I'm also going to be dodging opposition from the saints. So he says, pray for me. I love the last one. It's verse 32. I want you to read this verse before you look at the screen. Don't cheat. Here's his last prayer request. It's kind of weird, honestly. That I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. But when you think about the context of what Paul is saying, this is the way I would word it. Paul was praying for the progress of the gospel to expand to new horizons. Let me explain what he means in verse number 32. Paul was planning a trip to Rome. He's writing to the Romans, right? He didn't know these people personally. But he's like, man, I've heard about you all, and so I'm just writing you a letter to instruct you in the basics of the faith. I think that's part of why the letter, other than some of their Jewish background, is why a lot of the letter is dedicated to the gospel. Paul didn't know them, so he wanted to establish and root them in the gospel. But Paul had plans. It was like on his bucket list. I'm going to Rome, right? Rome was like this this, uh, port that reached the world, right? All roads lead to Rome. And so in Paul's mind, he's thinking, all gospel roads lead from Rome. So I'm going to Rome. And so Paul says, would you pray for me? I'm going to Jerusalem, but I'm really hoping to make a a trip back to you. You're on my list after Jerusalem. But I want you to look at verse number 24. Jerusalem wasn't his final destination. His final destination is in verse number 24. Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you if first I be somewhat filled with your company. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I want to come to Rome. It's a rest stop, not a destination. I want to get my tank filled up, minister to some saints, be refreshed by fellowship of meeting believers I hadn't, I, he hasn't met, instruct these believers, maybe get some financial support. And he says, then I'm going to go to Spain. And that was like Paul's ultimate destination. It was like the furthest point west uh, that that a lot of uh, the known world had pushed to and says, I'm gonna go to Spain and present the gospel there. Here's the point. Paul's prayer request for the progress of the gospel wasn't just immediate needs. Paul was thinking two and even three steps ahead. And he was asking for prayer that the gospel wouldn't just be effective where he was at right now but that God would open up new horizons for greater gospel opportunity. Are you catching that? Paul says, don't just pray for my current ministry, but pray that God would expand my ministry so that the gospel can go farther. Pray that the gospel will expand to new horizons. And that should be our prayer, shouldn't it be, church? I think of the quote that uh, Brother Prater read a few weeks ago, put it on the screen there. Um, I can't remember, you probably remember who wrote this, but I love this quote. It says, pray the largest prayers. You cannot think a prayer so large that God in answering it will not wish you had made it larger. 
And you know, we could apply that uh, to a lot of things, but there would be nothing better to apply that quote to than the progress of the gospel. And, and church, I want to challenge you to pray for the gospel to expand to new horizons right here in liberal Kansas. You know, we look back in the month of June, what is it, Pastor Tyler, 14 or 15 people have gotten saved when you talk about church camp and Sunday night a week or two ago, and then even throughout the last week or two, people have gotten saved, not on church days. 14 or 15 people saved in June. That's a hallelujah. But you know what? We should be praying for more. We should be praying for the gospel to expand to new horizons in liberal Kansas. What would happen if we would pray that we would run two services in this church? What? I'm not talking about bringing in 400 people on a Sunday. What if we prayed as a church, God, would you give us influence to reach more? Not because we want to have a big show, but because the gospel needs to get out. Because there are still people in liberal Kansas that need to hear about Jesus Christ. And we know that when they come to this church, yes, there are other churches that preach the gospel. But when they come to Fellowship Baptist Church, they will hear the gospel. God, would you bring more people? Would you expand our ministry's influence? Would you allow more people to be discipled and raised up and trained up in our school and in our children's ministries? Would you allow more young preachers like a Kevin and a Jacob to be raised up so that we're not just expanding in our seating capacity, but in our sending capacity? God, would you bring more than just one church planning intern, but would you bring two? Would you allow us to start a church in Garden City and maybe start some other works in Western Kansas and in Oklahoma? God, would you expand us to new horizons? Listen, church, we ought to pray that God would give us greater opportunity. Paul says, I don't want you to just pray for Jerusalem. Pray for Rome. Pray for Spain. Don't just pray for this stop, but pray two or three steps ahead. Some of you are burdened and want to participate and help us as we go and try and bring the gospel to Garden City. Listen, there's not a, there, there may not always be a chance for you to contribute tangibly, but you can partner with us through your prayers. And my desire is not just that you would pray for us as we minister on a Sunday, but that you would pray two or three steps ahead. That God would allow us to expand the gospel to new horizons in Garden City. Well, would you pray for some of our missionaries? You know, a missionary's heart isn't just to reach people with the gospel, but to reach people who will reach people with the gospel. To train up faithful men who will teach others also. And I don't know if this has been your experience, Brother Prater, but a lot of times when I sit down with the missionaries, their greatest prayer request, the greatest thing they're working through is, man, I just wish God would bring us more faithful men that could be raised up to be preachers. Why? Because they don't just want to add to their ministry. They want to multiply. They want to multiply. They want to see the gospel go because there's so much work to be done. 7.17 billion people. We can't accomplish that through addition. We have to accomplish it through multiplication. Pray for the gospel to expand to new horizons. I was talking to my father-in-law this week. It was about 10 years ago that uh, his whole family, Shelby, the girls, uh, her sisters, and and her parents went on a missions trip to Beijing, China. They put on a VBS, and 27 kids got saved. 
And I love what he said because this is exactly what Paul was praying. He said, you know, once or twice a month, I pray that those 27 kids would reach one person a year. And he said, if you follow the numbers, if 27 kids reach one person a year for 20 years, one million Chinese people would come to Christ. I love that because that is the exact heart of Paul. God, would you allow us to multiply and expand the gospel to new horizons? Would our church have a heart for the gospel to go even further than we could even possibly fathom? You say, Mike, you're crazy. You think we can have more than 400 people? This is awesome already. Yeah, you know what? We serve a big God who I think we sang a song about it. He's mighty to save. He can move the mountains. And if our God can move the mountains, I think he can multiply the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul said, pray for me. Pray that I'll be effective in the gospel. Pray that it'll multiply. And here's what I want to do as the instrumentalists come. Daniel and Miss Kay would come and just play through money to save. You have a card that you were given. I want you to come, even right now, come to the altars right now. And I want you to pray these five prayer requests for the missionary on your card. As a church often think, man, what, how can we do better at praying for these missionaries? And you know what? As we preach through the Bible, at the very least, we ought to pray for them when we hear about them in the Bible. And so I want to challenge you, come forward, pray at your seats, pray these five prayer requests for that missionary. You say, I don't know them very well. That's fine. But I, I think God knows their specifics, but these are pretty specific prayer requests. And so I want to ask you that you would take this card and pray these five prayer requests for the missionary that you were assigned. Some of you have a card for Pastor Tyler and his family. Pray for them. Some of you have a card for our family. Some of you have a card for someone you've never heard of before today. But pray for them. And then I want you to take this card with you and and pray for them some other times. Pray that God will help them. Deliver them from opposition to the gospel. Open doors, give them boldness. Give them effectiveness among believers and allow them to expand the gospel to new horizons.